Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the LFC Report podcast. Tonight, we've got a special podcast for you with a very, very special guest. I'm your host, Les Lawson, and I'm joined as normal by Tom Keegan and Pete Warburton. But tonight, we've got a member of one of the greatest Liverpool teams in our history, a member of the a team that is, is renowned um, for going on it and equaling the Leeds unbeaten run of 29 games. A man who played 158 games for Liverpool between 1986 and 1992 and won two League Champions medals and one FA Cup. A big welcome, please, to Barry Venison and a big thank you from me, Tom and Pete, for joining us, Barry. So welcome to the Red Poets podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, gents. It's a pleasure. My pleasure to be here. Right. Had a great time. Had a fantastic time. So I'm uh, looking forward to chatting with you fellas. See what surprises you've got up your sleeve for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. First of all, Barry, just just want to touch on something before you sign for Liverpool. You must be really proud because you were the youngest captain, weren't you, to to lead out a team at Wembley when you captained Sunderland in the the 1985 League Cup final against Norwich. Yeah, that that that's a true statement, and um, I, I think that record still stands. I could yeah. be wrong, but I think it still stands. Yeah, I was very very proud. Obviously, the day didn't end well because we uh, we we lost the game. But yeah, I was, I was a young whippersnapper. It was huge occasion. Wembley was full. I think it was about ninety six thousand, and you know to lead your lead your team out of Wembley when you're such such a young man and. Uh, in front of that many people, ah, it was fantastic. It, it was uh, all obviously all the family were there. I had a load of mates. I, I found out when you get to a cup final, I found out you have a lot more mates than you did before you got to the final. I had mates <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we we find that out, Barry, as well. Is it? Yeah, Liverpool <laughs> get to a final. There's text messages and phone calls coming from every every angle. It, and people you've even <laughs> forgot about you haven't heard them from for years. You haven't got any spare tickets, have you? It's just the it's just the way of the world, isn't it? And especially, I mean, Sunderland were a massive club, aren't they? You know what I mean? They've got a massive yeah. fan base. So you know when you when when you get to a final, you know, very similar to Liverpool, you know, the world and the mother wants to go, don't they? So you, you are going to get lots of people that that you know all of a sudden think, oh, you know, I'd love to go to that particular game and and try and get tickets. But yeah, it must be... I mean, that to, to, for you to still hold that record, it must be a great pride to you, buddy. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, it's just... It's a it's a memory. It's something nice to uh, talk to the kids about once in a while. But um, the being there, the, the, the occasion, and, and remembering that, and, you know, the, like everything else, it's the people that you enjoy or the people enjoy the occasion with. And... Um, still keep in touch with a lot of those lads from back then. So, you know, that's that. That's the now when you get to my age, I'm 60 this year, grey hair all over the shop. Looking back, it's 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 the uh, camaraderie, the togetherness. Um, you know, the good times you have on the field, off the field, and that that was a, a really good Sunderland squad. And unfortunately, we lost the game, but. Yeah, and I was still a, like I said, I was still a kid in in many ways because as a I started at Sunderland in the first team, I got to break into the first team when I was seventeen. You know, young, I left school at fifteen and went into the team at seventeen year old. So I I got a lot of first team experience very quickly. So I got a lot of 
games, made a lot of mistakes under my belt. But it wasn't until I left. So I mean, I'm captain Sunderland at one of the biggest occasions in the club's history. But it wasn't until I left Sunderland to come to Liverpool to realise how little I really knew about the game. So, you know, it was it was uh, a, a huge uh, culture change playing in that small environment, relatively speaking, in Sunderland, and then going to, you know, the walking into the Liverpool dressing room with, you know, international players looking at you from every corner. Yeah, so so yours is a little bit of an unusual story, isn't it? About how you signed for Liverpool. According to reports, you you actually wrote to a number of clubs to see if if they were interested in signing you, and Liverpool, you know, liked liked you as a player and, and went in and signed you for two hundred grand. Um, so can you tell us a little bit how that come about? Yeah, I can. I, I remember at the time I was looking to move from Sunderland. There was things were. Well, I'm going in the direction that probably I would have uh, would have liked. So, what can I do about it? Other than try and play as well as I can every every game that I play. Obviously, that's a given. Train as hard as you can. Uh, you play as well as you can. And then you hope that the, there might be an opportunity to move to another club, possibly even a, a bigger club. So, I got in touch with the PFA and I said, look, what else can I do? I didn't have an agent that... Didn't have an age at the time. I'm just, you know, I'm a young kid. So what what they informed me that I could do was I could I could write to any club that I want uh, and let them know, inform them of my position. You know, I'm available in, in the summer when my contract's up. These are the amount of games I played. Uh, these are the amount of goals that I didn't score. And <laughs> I didn't score many. These are the amount of goals that I didn't score. Uh, you know, basically my experience. Now. I sent it to every at the time it was first division. Uh it was the top division, obviously. So I sent every first division club. I didn't send it anywhere else other than every first division club. And it was just, what can I do? I might as well do it. Take me a few hours to do it. Bang, off you go. I didn't even know if it's gonna land at the right door. Is it gonna who's gonna read it? Does anybody ever read these? I had no idea. But I just wanted to be proactive. I just wanted to do something that Maybe would uh, would would help somebody make a decision. Was you overwhelmed? So, oh, sorry, Les. Oh, go on, Tom. Was you overwhelmed when you first got to Liverpool, buddy? Uh, it's a very strong word. I tell you what, not not overwhelmed. Um, overwhelmed would suggest that you know not mm. able to to handle it. Yeah, but there is a. For anybody coming in, in into into that dressing room, into a club that's a winning machine, where you've got really experienced top class players everywhere. Every peg has got a top class player sat underneath it. It's obviously um, a, a man's world in in the Liverpool dressing room. No messing around. The quality, the standards are so high. Ronnie Moran, Roy Evans. Kenny was a player manager at the time. So Kenny, has a, as we all know, extremely high standards as a player, as a manager at the time. So the standards were really high. The expectation levels from, from the training sessions, um, uh, from the games, 
we're a whole different world. But I was, well, let's call it lucky, whichever word we want to use. I enjoyed it. I love training. Love competing. Love the challenge. No, I, I didn't. I didn't. I'm, I'm going to say I, I didn't fit right in immediately because there's a bedding in process. I've got to understand what's required of me. And, of course, you got Ronnie Moran and Roy Evans telling you every day, you know, what's what. So certainly not, certainly not overwhelmed, but very humble. Yeah. Going back to your, sorry, guys, going back to your childhood, if you want, growing up in concerts, um, as we know, it's a bit like Merseyside. It's a, it's a hotbed up there, isn't it? Newcastle, Sunderland, very close together. So yeah. as, as a kid, who did you lean towards? Were you a Macham or a Magpie or... That, you know, we just wanted to play anyway. Yeah, I was I was born in concert. I was raised in a small pit village called Stanley. Uh, concert was where the hospital was, but I was it's only about you know, five miles away. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, you've asked me at a ridiculously bad time to see whether <laughs> I'm a Sunderland or Newcastle fan. Four forty-five a.m. tomorrow, my time, Sunderland, <laughs> Newcastle, and I've got I've been in and now I'm playing with this Facebook thing. I'm on Facebook now. What an idiot! I'm on Facebook now, so I'm I'm getting battered from Sunderland and Newcastle. Who are you support? No, you're a Macam. Are you going to be a Geordie? What is it? So, uh, I've no, got... it was just out of interest because obviously around here, I mean, I live on the Weddle, to be honest. So yeah. you know, some people should say you should support Tramier, but as a kid of my age, you were always a red or a blue, and then on a Friday yeah. night, your dad would say it's a Tramier just to watch Tramier, you know. <laughs> but, uh, no, I tell you what, with my family, my family, uh, my dad, Sunland supporters. Right. Um, I, I, I went to the Sunland games. I used to stand in the football end. Um, but as a as a kid, in, in where I grew up, it's pretty much like you were. It's half and half, you know. It's one yeah. or the other. Yeah. Uh, so half the time was Newcastle, half the time was Sunland. Half your family was Newcastle, half your family Sunland. But I ended up. Um, I went to Newcastle as a kid, you know, a 12 or 13 schoolboy. And yeah. I got to the point where they made a decision, they had to make a decision on me and, and actually rejected me. They said, no, you're not, you know, you're not for us. So I ended up going over to Sunderland. Sunderland took me in and I, and I ended up becoming an apprentice and then obviously turning into a, into a pro. So I was rejected by Newcastle eventually obviously I ended up back there but yeah Sunderland was the who the, the, the team that my family supported now and now went to the games but for anybody officially or on Facebook or anybody asking the question <laughs> I just want an entertaining game and I know the referee's useless but I don't care who wins <laughs> yeah. so Barry just coming back to you know the where we started and, and asking about how you how you signed for living so you know you know, off to the club. Who was it yeah. contacted you and sort of made the sort of the step for you to come to the club? <laughs> I thought it was a wind up. It was about uh, me and my missus were, were were in bed at the time. It was I mean, it must have been about ten o'clock, and the phone goes, Scottish accent, saying this is kind of glitch. Yeah, sure it is. Okay, and I honestly thought, I, I, I honestly thought it was a wind up. It took me, I don't know, it took me 30 seconds, a minute, just to uh, absorb it. 
and not swear down the phone, tell tell somebody you know where to go. But <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was Kenny who rang me and said, you know, he'd like me to come down and have uh, to talk to him about possibly joining Liverpool. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what time? <laughs> well, you know, what time? Where I'll be there? So yeah, but it was but it was Kenny who called. It was great. So it, it must have been. I mean, with all due respect, it must have been a massive surprise to you. You know, when you, you've wrote to all these clubs and the team that's done the double are the ones who pick up the phone and think, and a great boost for you and think, we think you're good enough to play for us. Enhance the squad and push for the first team place alongside, you know, the likes of Stevie Nickel and Jim Beckley because they just took over that season from Phil Neal and Alan Kennedy who were getting phased out the club. So, so yeah. obviously there was a change in the, the guard of full-back but and Nico, you know, um, could could play in a number of different positions as well. Of course. So for you to sort of get that call from 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 King Kenny, you know, it must have it must have been wow. I'm going to go to the you know, to the best team in the country. They just won the double. Liverpool have just won the double. So I'm going into a double winning team. Actually, let uh, let me backtrack a little bit. When I got the call, I'm going into a double winning club because I didn't know what I was going to be going on the team. Did I expect to be in the team? Absolutely not. I mean, the, there's lots of players went to Liverpool over the years uh, around about that time. I mean, David Hodgson went down from the northeast, and very rarely did people or, or new new additions to the squad quickly step into the team. So I, I didn't have any expectations of going uh, and walking or, or going into the team sooner rather than later. I knew my football education was going to be enhanced dramatically and he was going to a fantastic club, unbelievable players, uh, the, 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 the best club on the planet at the time. So I I didn't even think about whether I was going to be in the team or not. I just wanted to get there and make sure that my first few training sessions were good. I didn't think that far ahead. But then obviously you get in, pre-season's really hard. Um you're getting chewed up all over the place from Ronnie Moran. He's really good at that because he does it every day. But and then in in the preseason, then into preseason, you start to get a feel of you know games and the the way the lads play and and the uh, the teamwork, the team spirit, what's expected of you. And then it, after preseason, I played a few games in pre preseason. And then I think my my first game was I actually started. I, I played in the Charity Shield. I think it was against Everton. So fast forward from the phone call, a month or two further on the down the line, and I'm now Wembley in the Charity Shield. I mean, think about that for a yeah. young kid. I, I tell so. you, so how, how how welcome did did the did the players make you feel when you first joined? Because it's you know as football fans, we sort of. You know, we all get excited when you hear about the club signing a new player, but you never really think about a player going into a new dressing room, like when you're starting in a new job and you'd have to walk in the office for the first time or in the factory for the first time. And you might know a couple of people sort of, you know, loosely, but through acquaintances and stuff, but you don't really know them, you don't know you're going to fit in. So which players was it at that time who, who sort of helped you settle in and and sort of made you feel part of the, the dressing room, so to speak? 
Oh, I'll tell you straight away, the the day that I signed, um, when I stayed I stayed in Southport, at the hotel in Southport. I can't remember the name of the hotel. Kenny took me to, to the to the hotel, dropped me off. And that night, that, that night at about, I don't know, let, let's say at 6 7 o'clock. Um, Mark Lawrence, I got a call from, from Mark Lawrence and Come on, let's get you out. Let's get you out for a couple of beers. Okay, all right. I, mean, I haven't even unpacked yet. You want? Know, okay, so so there was Mark Lawrence and you know Gary Gillespie, Ronnie Wheel, and the Southport crew, and just went out for you know a couple of Budweisers, a couple of Becks, and then that was that was the start of it. So it, it carried on from there because obviously the first day in the office, your first day you, you knew place of work, you're going in and you got you got butterflies. If you haven't got butterflies, there's something wrong with you because you're going in having to prove yourself on so many different levels. You have to prove yourself. So there's a, uh, there's an expectation. I had high expectations of myself, but you're going in and yeah, but it's not just people are very welcome in, in, in the football world generally, but you, let's say you got 25, 25 characters strong characters in a change room. Some of them are uh, the communicate softer, some are more warm, some are cold, some just take the piss out of you right from minute one. So it's Everybody's different. So it's a matter of going in and finding out what the makeup is, um, what the characters are like. But strong dress room, strong characters straight away. You know, Big Alan Hansen <laughs> ran the show. Rushy, you know, the, there was um, Bruce absolutely psycho off his head, and that wasn't just the first day. That was every single day I walked in there. And there was somebody, you know, in training, you're getting kicked in training, you're getting smashed in training, you're getting elbows hit. It's, it's a matter of going in and not blending in, but working out what's required. But the, the, the welcome's great. But the other thing that people really don't, maybe don't understand in a dressing room when, when you see you missed the crack or you know you're not playing anymore you miss you miss going and training every day part of it is it's absolutely ruthless so the first day you're going in you're getting what the hell are you wearing what on <laughs> earth is that haircut looking like you know you're getting you're getting ripped to shreds from from many different angles for all different aspects of it and it's a test it's a test. Though you'll you'll start speaking to somebody. You say one of the one of the stronger boys will say, "Who hey, are you to speak? Shut up! You can't. You've got no right to speak in here. Just be quiet." And it's a test. Everything's a test. So Ronnie Moran, he was always testing new players. Uh, new players come in in training. Oh, you, you bad here. What's this? What's that? Work it out. You don't want. You think you're a player. You come from up there, and it's all just a test. It's a test and it's a, it's a way of uh, honing you from being a, a young whippersnapper into uh, a seasoned professional, a seasoned man. Mm. Yeah, you, must improve, you must improve, Barry, uh, so much when you're working with players of the quality of, of, of Kenny, Rushy, you know, Mark Lawrence and... Nico, all of all the players that you mentioned, yeah, it must improve your game no end, and give you the confidence to say, well, I'm I'm, I'm here with these boys, and you know, like, and you're part of the crew, and and that's 
it, it must be a, a fantastic feeling. It is. It's of course you become a better player. You become a better player. You become more aware. You you understand what the real top class players doing. They're looking three passes ahead. You you have to be bright every day. You have to be switched on. You have to be um, really on it physically. Your standards, like I said, and I keep saying it, standards are so uh, high. The quality of the passing, the the quality of the touch. Um, if your touch is not perfect, then you're getting snapped. It's you know it's of course every day every day you're improving you know and it, it for some players it's too much for some players yeah. they're just not able to um, raise their own levels to the accepted level of the club to the accepted level of the coaches of the of the of the other players so yeah I mean I was fortunate that I was able to uh, to step in and and, and adapt. But absolutely, become a better player. You become, you become a. I hesitate to say this because it sounds a little bit kind of whimsical. But you become a better man too, mm-hmm. yeah. because when you go from from the tra- from training and then you're playing in big games and you know to be to be humble in victory and magnanimous in defeat. I get on with a game, you get beat, and everybody's gutted, but. Stop wallowing, get on with it. It's Monday, let's go. Forget the game, let's go. We got to win the next game. And the ex- the other thing that I found, which I'd never had at Sunderland, and it's obvious when when I say it, every single game bar none, Liverpool players, coaching staff, expected to win that game. Expected to win that game. And anything less w- was... Not good enough. And, that, you know, I'm at Sunderland, you lose whatever the ratio is. And that, that, that well, I keep talking about the standards. doesn't matter whether there's injuries, whether there's suspensions, or, or there's been a bad result uh, the week before. That game, doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Arsenal or Brentford or whoever, whoever it is, you're expected to win that game. And, and the, the expectation came from within the dressing room, from within the training ground because of what you did during the week with the people that you did it with on a Saturday, no problem. And usually at that time, obviously the, the team, the squad was winning a lot more games than they're losing or drawing. Mm. Yeah. So, so Barry, that, that season turned out to be Ian Rush's last season at Liverpool because, you know, he was going to Juventus at the end of the season and it, it turned out really to be a disappointing season for Liverpool. You know, we yeah, Everton, Everton went on and, and won the league, and you know we didn't we didn't win anything that season after winning the double the year before. John Aldridge coming in the January, a, a scouser coming home, and and so all of a sudden, you know, Kenny was facing you know probably you know his first real test as a manager because. You know, although he he took us to the double, people were sort of looking at him and thinking, right, you're going to lose now the greatest striker in world football, certainly in Europe, in Ian Rush. How are you going to cope and how are you going to rebuild that team? And in the summer of 87, in comes John Barnes, Peter Beardsley, and then, you know, a little bit just after the start of the season, Ray Houghton. And you then become part, uh, as I said, when I did the introduction, of one of the greatest Liverpool teams that certainly we've had the pleasure 
of yeah. what you play. It's a team that's built when we get together and you're talking in the game or you're, you're going to games or you're just sitting around having a chat. It's a team that we we always refer back to and say how good were they. And the first game of the season that year against Arsenal, I think it was on that day that really we, we all realised how good it was. And what made that season even, I don't know if you remember this, Barry, but that season, if you remember, there was a big hole on the cup and we couldn't play at home for about seven weeks. We had to play all our games away from home. And that sort of got the the appetite going, you know, amongst the fans who, who couldn't get to the away games about seeing this team. And to be part of that that team and that squad, you know, it must have been really special for yourself to say, right, I'm now part of this this great Liverpool team. Wow, you know, what what can we achieve this season? And we went on to achieve, you know, nearly the impossible, nearly beat Leeds record. Got, got beaten the cup final by Wimbledon, but it was still a fantastic season. Yeah, it, it was a fantastic season. No wonder when you think about it. I mean, losing Rushy, no no team uh, would want to lose Rushy. Uh, but the, the players that were brought in, I mean, Barnsley, Peter Beardsley, Ray Houghton, not one of those individually could replace Rushy, obviously. Um, but they all brought different things into the club. John Aldridge there too. They all brought different things into the club. And I don't think anybody at that time was thinking, well, it's great to be part of this fantastic team because that's not the Liverpool way. It's not the Liverpool thought process. It's a case of, okay, we've won that game. We've got, we got to train well. And we got to win the next game. Now that the... the the gel and on the field and off the field was fantastic. The camaraderie, the the togetherness, um, different characters, great, great fun and training, working hard, but great fun. You know, the lads would go out for 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 a drink after games and got on really well off the field. And that's a part of it. That that is a part of it. But there was some real tough characters. You look at little Ray Houghton, who is a Phenomenal footballer, but a tough, tough little three foot six, you know, <laughs> made of steel. And what a player, what a clever player. And Barnsley at the time, over that era, I was listening to a game the other day, and Jim Beglin was co commentating, and he and it showed Barnsley in the stand. And he, he actually said, Yeah, John Barnes, probably in his time in that period of Liverpool, best player on the planet. Yeah. Mm. Cannot, totally disagree. Cannot disagree. Absolutely mm-hmm. right. So when you get top class players playing at, the, at their best level, and there was most of the players in the team on any given game were at they're at their top level. Very few games was the more than maybe one or two had a you know a six hour six out of ten. That team at that time somehow consistently played to, to the highest of their own personal levels within that team system. You know, we there was never any real coaching or team shape or working on free kicks or corners. It's the intelligence of the players that made that team. The, obviously, the, the coaching staff too. But the intelligence of, of the, um, the lads out there working it out, Ronnie Moran, if, he, if you're asking me what to do, you... 
you don't expect an answer. You've got to work it out. And all those players in that team were their own little assets. Were were able to gel together, and that jigsaw was a beautiful jigsaw. Uh, so yeah, uh, it, it was an absolute pleasure to play in. And I, and this is not no Liverpool team ever went into a game um, thinking they were going to win. They, they went into a team expecting to earn the right to win, to earn the right to win each game. And that's what was happening. Didn't matter, 1-0 down, 2-0 down, not playing very well. You earn the right to win that game. And that was happening week in, week out, week in, week out. And it was, like I said earlier, there was never a time when I sat in, a, in any changing room at Anfield or away and didn't think, we should win this game today. We are going to win this game today. But... We were reminded by Kenny, we were reminded by the coaching staff and the, and the senior players would remind us, you have to earn the right. Don't go out there and be a big-time Charlie and think they're just going to give you the game. You have to earn the right, so you put the graft in. And for all the talent in that squad, for all the artistry, for all the finishing, for all the finesse, um, it's, the, it's the graft by every single player in that team just the, the work rate to help each other, to, to uh, cover for each other, to run into the spaces, to track back. Um, you know, when you're running on empty sometimes near the end of games and somebody will put themselves out of position to help you. Somebody will cut like Barnes. He would take, would take a pass from you knowing that he was going to get clobbered. Definitely great, great players. And it was. It was an honour to be part of it, for sure. Probably you've just... Um... We've had a few ex-players on the podcast. We've been lucky enough to get a few ex-players. And what you've just said there, I think mirrors exactly what they've said. Graeme Sooners has said it. David Fairclough has said it. That right. everyone just works for one another in that team. And I'm not saying like shakers. They weren't shakers, any, any in the team. But like you say, some were running on empty. But you found it from somewhere. Somebody helps you out all the time in the trenches. And as I say, all the ex-players that we've had on have all said the same thing about Liverpool, just how the camaraderie got them through on in games, you know. Yeah, it's it's a common theme, isn't it? And yeah. you find out you don't find out you don't find out who the real men are in the in the team are who's made of steel when you you know you're two nil two nil up at Anfield against Luton. That's not when you find out. You know, it could be it could be Stoke away on a Wednesday night, pissing down a rain, and you're one nil down, and Kenny's got his face on. Then you then you then you find out who's the real who's going to dig in, who's going to put the tackles in, who's going to who's going to grind this out. Uh, you know, you go with a man you, and you end up you end up maybe he's going to going to go down or two goals down. Then you find out who's who's going to try and hide behind the blade of grass, who's going to stand up. And, and that's that's what made the great. I mean, Kenny and, and Sui, they were in great teams as well. Um, and that's the common theme: relying on the uh, the men beside you. And sometimes you had to lean on them because you weren't having a good time, but they would gladly help you out. It's amazing when you when you're talking. About you said before about it was a beautiful jigsaw. That that was the secret. That was the secret, wasn't it? And it, it 
it fitted together so perfectly. Every player fitted into that system, and we become we become like a machine. I remember watching that side, especially with you know with Barnes and and, and Beardsley and Aldridge up front. And you, as you what you said before, you felt with them three, you always had a chance, no matter who you played. Because they were so exciting and they, they worked so hard with everyone behind them, you know it, it was it was an ex, it was a brilliant time to support Liverpool Football Club that team and that period. It was a brilliant time to be a defender as well. I'll tell you what I, I mean for the midfield lads. We we had a great blend of midfield lads with uh, being able to pick a pass out, put a tackle in, cover the ground, so you know score a few goals here and there. But from a defender's point of view, I mean, I was an old-fashioned defender. I don't even think they exist anymore today. But my, I go, I go out personally. I go out if I'm if I'm playing right fullback. My first job is defend. My job, my first job is to twat that left winger or whoever it is to make sure he's not he's not having a good game. That's that's my priority. Then, then after that, how can I contribute to the team going forward? But if we were away somewhere, we were in the trenches and. As a back four, we were kind of stuck a little bit or we were up against it. We knew, we knew the team didn't have to create a phenomenal passing, uh, a pattern, beautiful pattern of, of play. We knew we had individual players, especially people like Barnsley, who you give them half a chance, you give them one little break where he's running against their back four, running against their centre half, or running against. He could jink inside, go outside, trick it, cross it for Aldo, bend it in the top corner of his right foot. We knew that with the players, the, the, the amount of firepower we had in the team, that as a defender, you do your job, great chance you're going to win the game. And that's, and I mean, as, as supporters, I'm sure you found the same. You go on and you go away from home or you go to watch the home games and you know that there's going to be defending to be done, but you're so looking forward to the other end in the last third and, and the, some of the stuff that went on. I'm, a couple of weeks ago, I watched a few videos of Barnsley. I mean, what? He's just, you can't believe it. You can't believe how, how easy he went past people, how, how quick he was, um, how strong he was, how good in the air he was, by the way, how really yeah. good in the air he was, especially yeah. in his own box, defending. Yeah, he's... Hi, I'm telling you, Barnsley was underrated at the time. Underrated by the, the and Alan Hansen. Alan Hansen, one of the best players I've ever, ever played with. Unbelievably underrated. Such mm-hmm. high standards. Big Al patrolling the um, the back four. Very demanding. Very explicit. <laughs> very explicit <laughs> what he wanted. <laughs> um, very loud when he didn't get what he wanted. Uh, you drop off a yard or two, or you'd be right on you. But such a strong leader, fantastic footballer. Every game, every game, every training session, competing, competing, competing. So that's the that's the that's the standard of uh, character and quality of um, player and professional that was right through that squad at that time. Yeah, you 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 said something there earlier, Barry. That- that Graham Sooners also said when he come on on the podcast and he said to us, 
when he was making his debut, he was in the dressing room, um, and he, he he's looking around. He said he thought to himself, "Oh, I haven't been told what they want me to do here." So he went over <laughs> to Doug Fagan and asked the question, "How do you want me to play?" And he said, "You've just come out with a mouthful, and you've basically just said exactly the same." And Graham said, "I never ever asked that question again." You know what I mean? And that just and that yeah. same shows. You know, the, the, the once they, they identified a player that was good enough to play for Liverpool, you shouldn't be asking them how you should be playing because they've already identified that you're good enough to be here. So you, you should know how to play. And that was their attitude, wasn't it? As you said before, yeah. it made you grow both as a, as a player and as a man because you had to take responsibility for your own, for your own, looking after yourself both as a, as a player and, and what you do and, and your standards and saying and also when it comes to match day, you know, you had to be you had to be on blob to play. And if you weren't, they would at that point they would let you know. Yeah, I mean arguments arguments between between players in, in the dressing room or on the field is common in in the training ground. It's common because the players were exacting of each other. They they demanded high standards. Is anybody dropping below? It was ruthless. Not not wouldn't let anybody drop. And we talk about leaders in a, in a dressing room, and that squad had that squad had many. Most of the lads in that squad yeah. were internationals. Most most of them were. But it just made me laugh so much with the uh, with the Suey one because I could. I mean. It, it, it's exactly the way it is. You know, if you ask Ronnie Moran, where do you want me to stand on the corner? What? Are you asking me where you want to stand on the corner? <laughs> yeah, it, no, you ask the question once, maybe twice if you're stupid. But yeah. <laughs> Work it out, son. Work it out. You're the player. You're the superstar. You're the one getting paid the money. You're not getting paid what I'm getting paid. You're one, you work it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Absolutely it's good. Tremendous. It, it makes me laugh, Barry. Actually, in the modern day now, when you see substitutes coming on and they're showing them charts, what you've got to do. And oh we're thinking, God, they've got the iPads out. They've got, they've got the iPads out. <laughs> I know. And we're, 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 we're sitting in the stand thinking, why are they asking what you've got to do? You know, if I, if I was asked to go on from the main stand for the last 10 minutes, I'd probably have an idea what to do. I wouldn't need an iPad to show me where's the stand, you know. No, right. There's, there's, there's several times, you know, because Stephen Nichol was right footed, left footed, run all day. He could play right back, left back, centre half, midfield, centre. He play everywhere. So Kenny had a Kenny had a really nice problem when me and Steve Nichol were in the team because I'd played earlier in my career in midfield. I'm not in the same league as Steve Nichol. I'm not suggesting that, but he had so many options in the be. Kenny would name the team, you know, an hour before the game and say, okay, uh, this is this is the 11. Uh, ben is your right back. Uh, Chico, your your uh, right side midfield. Okay, no problem. And then just before we're going out, as we're walking out to go on the field, he'd say, you know what? Use two swap. Now, Chico, <laughs> you play full back. Ben, you, you play right side midfield. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we're not going back into the drawing board and say, oh, whoa. Where do you want me to go? Do you want me to stand? It's different, completely different. Yeah. It was just adapt. You had to, you had to adapt. And you know, we—if you look at the Liverpool team, 
at that time, the energy and the aggression on the way that the whole team as a unit closed down, hassled and harried and very similar to what Jürgen Klopp's doing now, right? Maybe he's taking it to maybe another extra level because of the extra organisation, but we never worked on that in training. We never once worked on closing the team down. Not once. We didn't work on free kicks, didn't work on corners, because the players worked from each other, where the ball was, opposition, who who on the opposition's got the ball, is he a nugget? Is he a player? Can he damage us? Do we need to snap him? Do we need to get close to him? Do we need to get all those things that you know, hundreds and hundreds of decisions that each player has to make in that given time? That was happening. That was happening. I'm not going to use the word naturally, but that was happening because of the quality of the player that was on the field at the time, and that's that's where Liverpool's been blessed over the years. Given the the coaching is different. The coaching was different. Um, when I was younger at Sunderland, I went, uh, I think it was under 21s, England under 21s, and Howard Wilkinson was the manager. Oh, my God. You didn't, you didn't even run around and train, and he just he'd move you over here. Five, and when the ball's over there, you've got to move there five yards. And when it goes from the right back to the centre back, oh, then you got then you got to move here. To hit, and he's got to hold you, moving you <laughs> like a like a like a waxwork wax dummy. <laughs> Absolutely, what? The robots. Liverpool was complete Ooh. opposite, complete Ooh. opposite. The the coaching staff and the manager had com- complete confidence in every player. You knew you had confidence in you because you're in the team. You've actually got a shirt on and you're running out as one of the first eleven. Enough said. The confidence. We know you're a good player. They never say that, but they're telling you you're a good player because you're in the team, you're in the squad. So get out there and work it out. We trust you. We trust you 100%. Now, just work it out. Deal with it. And if there's an issue, deal with it. And that's that's what made that's what made the problem solvers. And that's that's why a lot of the stuff looked instinctive, but it's because people were just following their own intuition and football brain, because football brain was much more important than any kind of intelligence IQ test, as I think a few of the lads would, would attest to, by the way. <laughs> I think Nico would have failed. You just went straight for a name. You went straight for the name. That was in my head. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's a credit to you, Barry, because you played over 150 games for Liverpool, so you must have had something about you, mate. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. I, I, I would... I, I would Hope it was more, but I was out ten months with a yeah, yeah. I had three operations on my Achilles and uh, like two on one and one on the other. So uh, yeah, that was that that wasn't a, a good place to be. But yeah, to play to play for six years at, at uh, Liverpool f- uh, for that for those coaches and and the managers and to be around that environment, the family environment to further my football education beyond that I could ever believe uh, as a as a player, as a man. Yeah. I was lucky. I mean, do you have a favourite uh, game, Barry? A, a game that sticks out in your mind during your time there? Uh, not, not really. 
the only one I can really remember and it's just because I came on a sub after I've been out for a while. Um, we played Svaraskri Tyrol, Austrian, Austrian minnows at home. And uh, Suey was manager at the time, I think. And I'd been out for a long time and he brought me on near the end of the sub and I ended up, didn't know who to pass to, so I ended up just smacking one from out on like 20, 20, 20 yards and it ended up going in. I remember that one, but I think, I think the, the, the thing that's most imprints itself on you is winning the league for the first time. Yeah. But it's yeah. not it's not a one game FA Cup final celebration. It's a grind all the way through the season, earning the right yeah. all the way through the season, and the cream will always end up, apart from the last game against Arsenal, the the, the cream will always end up. The best team will win the league. The best team will win the league. That was said over and over. That's the best team consistently over those games. So almost. A bit of an anticlimax when you get to the towards the end of the season, and you know it's you've you've won the league, so it's because it's not one game, but yeah. when you the achievement and the satisfaction, it's difficult to measure. Yeah. I mean, you must be really proud, Barry. You know, when you think and um, where we start, and you said you were, you know, you got a phone call from Kenny when you were in bed to ask you to come to Liverpool. And then in your second season, you're picking up your, you know, a championship winning medal. With all due respect, you know, when you when you were at Sunderland, that must have been just a pipe dream that you could ever at Sunderland, you know, win the league. And then all of a sudden, you're within two seasons of leaving there. You've not only been part of one of the greatest Liverpool teams there's ever been, but you're now picking up a championship medal. And you know, and and now we're on this podcast. You know, and and when when you know groups of lads and fans get together and and the girls and they talk about great Liverpool teams, you'll always be you'll always be mentioned in you know in the conversations about that season in you know in in eighty seven eighty eight, and yeah. you know we still talk about it. We still talk about it now. Some of the <laughs> some of the great games. You know, I, I mean, you, you mentioned John Barnes there before. I remember the. The semi-final against Notts Forest in in eighty eight, yeah. um, when we won, and John Barnes gave the greatest exhibition of left-sided midfield play in covering for a fullback. That, have, that and I mean, I've I've not missed a game at Anfield since nineteen seventy six. So, <laughs> so I've seen I've seen a fair few games, and to this day, it's the best performance I've seen because Gary Ablett, who was playing. Left back that day, rest in peace, Gary. By the way, yes, you know, yes. He, um, he got he got booked early early doors, and he was up against Gary Crosby, and John Barnes for the rest of that game. Not only played left side midfield, but he marked Gary Crosby out of the game. He got brought down for the penalty to Barnsley, and then made the, uh, the, uh, the the goal for Aldo with with the great cross. So you know, John Barnes was as as you said. He was the greatest player on the planet at that time, and yeah. you're 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 sort of revered by Liverpool fans as well, you know, for being part of that squad and for right. being part of the success that we had from the time you come to the club. And one thing I wanna I wanna mm-hmm. chat to you about. Well, it's very nice of you to say so. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, 
won't take all the time. And, and really, thank you because we've never had we, our podca- podcast has only been going now for about just under a year. So, right. you know, we're still in its infancy and we've never had a member of the squad who was there at the at the time of Hill's been on the podcast. And as yeah. a supporter, I would like to thank you and Julie at the time for all you did in supporting yes. the supporters after Hillsborough and sort of ask you as a because nobody really thinks about this with the players how difficult was it for yourselves to sort of get back into into training and playing again because you must have had family and friends at that game as well and yeah. and do the same emotions as what what we did you know at the you know at the game and, and afterwards yeah well obviously for the people who Suffered loss for the lost family members, and um, that's always uppermost in in everybody's mind. My family was there. Julie was there. Um, funny enough, we mentioned. I was talking to Julie this morning. We mentioned it. It was it was only a few weeks after um, that game. Was only a few weeks after our second child, uh, Jade was born in Oxford Street. And then for for different reasons, it, obviously Hillsborough comes up in your mind uh a lot. And it was it was surreal because it's almost unimaginable. So to for for the families to have to deal with that who who lost Sons, cousins, friends. We as players will will never know that pain. Uh, but Kenny Marina, as you know, as we all know, set set the the, the standard. That's not the right word. They set the example of how to try somehow to work through this and do the best you can for everybody who needs support, needs help, um, needs either a shoulder to cry on or somebody to talk to. Or And Kenny and Marina were selfless um, beyond what anybody... Uh, could have imagined, and that was that was the example set to the players, and we 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 felt exactly the same, obviously, and we we tried to conduct ourselves in a way that was that was supportive, trying to find some kind of positivity in there, if at all possible, at any time. Um, the whole world changed. We weren't training. We were going to funeral. Obviously, we were going to hospital. So training and playing football became irrelevant to a degree. But we all realized that it was so relevant. Eventually, it's so relevant because it's, 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 it's the glue. It could be the elixir that helps 
helps people in a way, helps fans in a way, helps Liverpool as a city to try and um, heal and heal from start the healing process from within. So we felt we felt we had a responsibility as a team, as a squad, to do our very best to, to win. You know the games going forward. Win all the games going forward. But training was subdued. You find yourself, you know, maybe having a little bit of a laugh, and then you think, well, then you're checking yourself, thinking, well, you know, is this is this really appropriate? You know what I'm doing now. So you're second guessing, and um, it, it was strange. I'm I'm never going to say it was hard for the players because it wasn't hard for the players. It, it's it was always about understanding and, and helping the families and 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 uh, doing it that way. So it wasn't difficult for us. It was just a unique set of circumstances that unfortunately we were in. And like the grown men and human beings, we, we all hope we were, we dealt with it as best as best we could. Um, I think we lost our fitness levels to a degree, but that's natural. Not lost. We Before fitness levels went down. But again, that, that wasn't a priority. It, nobody was nobody was getting the knickers in a twist about that because it was in the bigger scheme of things it, it wasn't important. Um, but it, it took it took a while. I'm not even sure it ever did get back to uh, normality. But um, yeah, it, it took a while to get back into uh, uh, an acceptable uh, emotional routine. Um, yeah, it took it took a while, but it wasn't it wasn't difficult. I will not I will not say it wasn't difficult for the players. We just we just tried tried to adapt to help us help the city as much as we could. Yeah, I think I think for all three of us, where I was put at, obviously I wasn't it. I was in the stand above the Leppings Lane, and the fact what you did, you know, as players and as a squad, you know, I I I just the admiration I have for you and the love. I have for all those players who who were there at that time is beyond anything because mm. they were the biggest you were the biggest help and support that helped us sort of come to terms and try and move forward for something that none of us you know had ever experienced before and you know it just kept coming at you in waves and waves and waves and knowing that you were there and you were there supporting us you know on behalf, if I can just mention to you now, on behalf of the supporters, thank you, Barry, because you don't really know how much you helped us, um, you know, over the coming days and weeks and months to follow that, knowing that that you were there and you understood and you actually showed, you know, what it meant to be part of the Liverpool family. You know, and that bond between fans and players I'd never been, I'd never been stronger, and Kenny, Kenny, Kenny's knighthood should have been there, you know, in nineteen yeah. in nineteen ninety one, not yeah. waiting years and years later for what for what he did, him and Marina, and um, you know, as I say, you know, on behalf of all Liverpool supporters, you're the ones listening to us, just thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, well, that's very much appreciated, and it was uh, it is it was a it is a, a 
uh, a tragic bonding process in in so many ways, but great human beings in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. Great human beings, normal human beings do whatever they can to help in, in any way. But very generous of you to say so, and that's uh, obviously very, very, very well appreciated. My wife Julie's in in the room next to me, and she'll be glad to. She'll be she'll be really yeah. pleased to hear that. Thank thank you very much because. You know, yeah. as you say, the wives, you know, they were, you don't really think of the wives as being part of this, but they were exceptional. All of yeah. them, left by Marina, you know, yeah. they, they actually, they actually come to the, to the parapet, if you, if you want to call it, that they come to the forefront and yeah. we're there to, to hug people and, you know, show empathy to people and give them a shoulder to cry on, you know, when it was needed. And, you yeah. know, that's what, that nobody expected or, you know, no wife of a football expects to be a, a bereavement counsellor, which is what you 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 all were at that particular time. So, you know, when you've when you've finished the podcast, Barry, please say thank you to Julie you know, on behalf and and on, on of us other Liverpool supporters as well. Yeah, that's very nice. Thank you. Yeah. So just just moving on, we just just to try and lighten the mood a little bit. Just want to ask you. <laughs> Were you in the Were you in the dressing room when Alan? No, Hansen... I wasn't there. No, 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 I wasn't there. <laughs> when Alan Hansen walked in and told Brown Steve Nichol up when he is, he said he was going to be Liverpool manager after Kenny resigned. Yeah, I was there. I remember it. Uh, it, it. It was. He was very convincing, Big Al. By the way, he was really <laughs> convincing. Now, his prime target usually was Chico. Um, he, he he was. He was a butt of Big Al's humour, let's call it, most of the time. But no, but he walked in. He, he walked in and he had such a stern face on, such a serious, because he can put that face on, Big Al can do that. And, he's, and he went, right, these are the changes. And the only one that, that stands out in my mind was, nobody's going to the Arkles, that's done, no more drinking. <laughs> no, we had a pub in Southport. What was the pub in Southport? I can't remember the name of the pub in Southport. All the Southport lads used to go to. And he went, all you Southport lads, the, the, the uh, pub landlord was called John. All you Southport lads, you won't be seeing John again. You're not going in that pub again. Too much drinking, not enough work. It's done. That was like, Jesus Christ, what's going on? He's got mental. What's wrong with him? Because Big Al knew because he'd be standing there drinking, having a pint was well, when we were in there having a game of pool. So I'm thinking, what? What's he doing? He's done it about face. That's a bit two-faced, isn't it? So all these things are going through your mind. He did it so well. I mean, nobody knew. It wasn't just for Steve Nickel. Everybody was going, Jesus, he is he's the manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a there was a lot of stuff went on back then with uh, with with Prankson. Steve yeah. Nichols was always in the middle of it. He was always right in the middle of it. It was great. I mean, oh, yeah. Do you ever get back over to the UK to watch any football? I was... I, I don't get back over to England much. I was actually no. over there um, in November. I had some... I went up to the northeast, And right. I went to I went to a Sunderland game. We, you know, we got beat by Sunderland. Uh, we got beat by Norwich in the, in the cup final. Uh, 85, as we talked about. But then 
when I went back, it just so happened that Sunderland were at home uh, against Norwich. So my pals got some, got me some tickets. I didn't want to, I just went in the stand with them. We went in the stand and I'd never been to the stadium of light. So that, that was the only real game that I, that I went back to. But I do have a, a future son-in-law, let's call him, who is desperate to go and see a game. So I, I'm, I'm, what I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to take him to a Liverpool game. I'm going to have to take because he wants to sample the atmosphere. I'm going to have to take him to a Newcastle game and a Sunderland game. And I think if I take him to those three grounds, I think you'll get a a, a yeah. decent idea of what the real football is like and none of this American MLS garbage. So, <laughs> yeah. So I don't get back enough, but I do get coverage on TV. We get yeah. good coverage here. We, yeah, we get all the games here. If, um, if we get the cup final, any chance of a ticket? So I'll be in touch with you. <laughs> 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 well, that's been, that was the issue. Sunderland, Sunderland got to the cup final once in the blue moon, I think, before that was 1973. Liverpool's yeah. the cup finals all the time, so yeah, <laughs> big demands. Yeah, so Barry, you, you were then part of the before we went. I mean, I was just going to say, there when you, when you were part of the, the, the team that won the league in 1990, you wouldn't actually have, have thought that day when you walked off the field with the, the championship medal in your back pocket. It would have been over 30 years before we actually won the league again. And, no. you know, and myself, no. you know, wouldn't have, if somebody had told me walking out of Anfield that day, well, that's it now, Les. You're not going to see Liverpool win the league now for over 30 years. I'd have told them to go back to the funny farm, you know what I mean? Exactly. Get the straight back, straight jacket back on there and get yourself yeah. on that paddle yeah. cell, what you're on. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, not, not, nowhere, nowhere. Absolutely not. It's you know, all you're doing is okay. First thing that's said after you win the league, okay, enough of that. We got to win it next year. So start thinking about next year. That's when you sat in the dressing room. You got your medal hanging around your neck, and Ronnie Moran's already imagining you about next year, about next season. Get to get it sorted for next season. <laughs> so yeah, uh, unbelievable. So how difficult was it, Barry, in the end to leave Liverpool? You know, you'd, you'd spent six fantastic years at the club and obviously, you know, Suey had come in as, as manager, Kenny had left. So was it difficult for you to sort of decide to, to leave and go to Newcastle or or were you sort of made aware that you didn't have a, have a part to play in the future? Uh, it actually ended up being not that difficult. And the reason being is because and I got on well with Sui. Um, I mean, I, he's bought and sold me a few times. But at that time, when he came in, I think I was in the middle of me uh, getting recovering from my Achilles. So I'd, I'd been out for a long time. And Rob, the club had bought Rob Jones, who came in and, and right back and did a fantastic job. Rob did, was top class. So when I got back to fitness and... Rob Jones is in the team now and he's doing really well. He might even be in and around the England squad at about that time pretty quickly. I knew that my opportunities were going to be limited. However, Liverpool did offer me a three-year contract, another three-year extension on my contract. So, you know, that three-year contract don't get offered lightly. So I knew oh, I was valued. I my, my route to the first team was blocked by a, a blossoming, young, top-class player. So, likelihood of me playing many games, not high. So, when it, when it came around, the opportunity to go back to the northeast, 
I spoke to Kevin Keegan. Then it ended up me going to Newcastle without any regrets leaving Liverpool, only fantastic memories. So it ended up not being a, not being a difficult. It wasn't a gut wrencher because at that time, the timing was right for me to go and look at a, a, a different challenge. But I will say this. Not when I left Liverpool, when I went into Liverpool six years previously, and I left two completely different people. Two, I, I was boy and man. So when I went to Newcastle, because of my time at Liverpool, because of my experience with, with top-class players, with, with, the, uh, with the standards and with being real men and grown-ups and get on with it and work it out, I was able to take all that now six years of experience with me yes. to Newcastle and help other people in the way that I was helped via the Liverpool standards, via the Liverpool family. So I was able to take that. And Keegan wanted that from me, so he wanted me to play a big part in that development of the club and bring that element of that into the club, uh, which was a role I enjoyed. I've always been a big mouth and a leader and pull people around. So to be a leader, you've got to have a big mouth, and I qualified for that pretty well. So to go to Newcastle and be <laughs> to go to Newcastle and be a part of it, a big part of it was exciting new challenge. So yeah, it, it wasn't difficult to leave. Right. So so when you when you finally finished playing, you then become you then become part of one of the 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 best football films there's ever been when you were a pundit on my <laughs> fastest England manager. Can you tell us how good? How good, how good was that film? Oh, my God. How good was it? You know, that uh, is so good. And, and uh, obviously, I'm not Tom Cruise. I was, more, I was more like Lassie the film star or Flipper. It was so, it was so bad. But, you know, me and Gabby, uh, Gabby Yorth at the time, we, we had a, a part in that film. It was so good. But it was only for 30, like 30 seconds. I'm not even sure I was in the film for 30 seconds. You know, it took all day. We were there all day, <laughs> literally all day to get a 30 seconds. That's how crap I was. <laughs> <laughs> it was embarrassing. Oh, my God. Oh, how did, how did that come about, Barry? Did you got the, did you got the part in that film? I, 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 got, I got no idea. I, I don't <laughs> even remember who called me. I got, I got no idea. It didn't pay me, and it wasn't. It wasn't as okay. We're going to give you ten grand, or or we're going to give you a hundred quid. It didn't pay me. I just thought it's a bit of fun. Let's do it. But I can't remember. I think it was because I'd been on uh, ninety two when the Premier League came in. I was still playing at the time, um, obviously at Newcastle, and I I was doing a lot of stuff with Sky Sports with uh, Richard Keys and Andy Gray, and then I when I when I packed in playing. Then I worked, went to work for ITV full time, and it's obviously just come about from that. They just wanted to do a piss take, and yeah, the, geez, I'm I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. I was so absolutely you, useless. Say, but I'm proud of it. You, you've interviewed the best England manager since uh, since the yeah. Ramsey, anyway. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what it is? It, make, it always makes me laugh. That film, you know, Barry. Uh, do you reckon he, 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 he was modelled on Barry Fry? <laughs> is that right? Do you reckon so, you know? You know like, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Get, put the team down in the back, back of a fag pack at Marlborough's yeah. playing today. Oh, yeah. my God. 
That's all good. One of the best, one of the best f- football films that's ever been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. It's just oh, nice to be part. I tell you, that's it's nice to be part of it, isn't it? Like yeah, you be yeah. part and invited to part of the Liverpool uh, success story over a small period of time. It's really nice to be part of it. And I think that's, I think that's the mo- one of the most satisfying things to be part of something with with a great group of people and look back and have a laugh about it, make a fool of yourself sometimes, do some really nice things, win some stuff. It's just a, it's an honor and a privilege to to be part of that kind of environment. And I tell you what, if and when I come back from the planet, after I've come back from hell, because I'm not going to heaven, if and when <laughs> I come back from on this planet, I want to do it all again. I just want to yeah. do the same thing again. Yeah. And we'd like to go it all, through it all with you, Paddy, that's for sure. Just to put another question, just off, off football a little bit, of, well, off tack a little bit. How was your um, sartorial elegance? How was that? All the clothes you used, the club you used to wear, how did that go down in the dressing room? Well, fantastic. It was, I, I mean, the, the clothes were <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> the, the clothes were the best. It, it was, that is another thing. Alan Hansen was underappreciated, but not nearly <laughs> as much as my attire. It was, it was highly <laughs> underrated. People would even, I mean, people would even sneer and laugh and giggle. What, what are you laughing at? What, what is wrong with that stripy suit? What's wrong with your eyes, fool? No. <laughs> you, know, you know I'm going to blame on this because I'm not going to accept full responsibility, even though it was I used to dress myself by that time. The um, Barnsley. Barnsley got me into that, man. Bar- Barnsley. <laughs> some of the stuff Barnsley would buy, and you go, ah, this is a bit tight here. You have it. No, I'm not wearing that. Yeah, he, you wear But the thing is with Barnsley, he could pull it off. Yeah. I mean, Great looking lad. He's got the strut. He's got the build, and he's this whelk with a mullet, whiter than whites, trying to wear these jackets. What an idiot! But I had fun with it. <laughs> hey, hey, buddy, is it true that you, when you had appendicitis, that Kenny had to body you a pair of his pajamas because you didn't own any? Don't own, didn't own pajamas. No, no pajamas. <laughs> I never own pajamas. When I was at, I, I'm talking about pajamas. When I was at Sunderland, a young kid, I was in the squad for the first time, and they put me in a room with, uh, uh, with with Frank Worthington. Now at that time, wow. I think I might even be wow. living at home. Frank Worthington strutting around with his, you know, with his g-string underpants on, and I'm I'm a young kid still with me stripy pajamas on that my mother <laughs> packed for me. <laughs> God. So I think I embarrassed myself in front of Frank Worthington and made the decision. No more picking pajamas. I lose all kinds of credibility. I tell you what, what a, that's a name from that's a blast from yeah. the past. What a footballer he was. Yeah, yeah. And he nearly he nearly yeah. signed for Liverpool. You know, buddy. I know he did. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know he, that. He failed yeah. his medical in 1972. Um, the, the, reason, the, the reason was high blood pressure. That's what they put out, but it wasn't actually high blood pressure that he. That he actually failed his medical for when the fact they give him a week, they give him a week yeah. in his life to go back. Yeah, they give him a week to get the to get the condition cleared up. Let us say, and he he came back, he came back for his second medical and I failed again. So, yeah. Oh no! So what yeah, player, oh, of he's a star, absolute yeah. superstar, right, real, real proper proper footballer. What a talent! He used to stand in the, in the dressing room before the game. Right in the middle of the, the dressing room, the, the, the son of the Roker. Not a big dressing room, 
Um, and he'd have his jock strap on, he'd have his ankle strapped up, and he'd be, you know, keeping the ball up at 20, 30, 40 with head and shoulder, just standing there, you know, 10, 15 minutes, just keeping the ball, never touched the ground. If it during training, if he wasn't happy, if he wasn't, you know, head catching, you do head catching training because he wasn't the most intelligent, but a great footballer. If he didn't like what was happening, he would just take the ball and boot it over the fence. I'm not playing that game. I'm not doing it. <laughs> hey, buddy, as yeah. a as a as a top class fullback as you were, can you let us know what you think of Trent as a player? Because I think oh, he's a big talent. No, he, well, first of all. You need to separate the sentence a little bit with a bit more gap in it to have my <laughs> name in the same sentence as, as Trent because, number one, he's not a fullback. N- <laughs> number two, he's uh, just a top-class footballer, an unbelievable talent and a footballer who has got so much ability. But I, there's, there's, I was a defender. I was a, I was a defender and a grafter and a team player. Um, didn't not a creator by any stretch of the imagination. But Trent is, and he's in this whole new world where he can play really, really well from midfield. He can play really well uh, at, at right back. But i tell you what I've noticed this season, and I think this is... I, 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 I'm glad you brought it up because I think this is one of the differences that I see from 5,000 miles away just through the TV. Trent, over the, over, over the previous years, to me, phenomenal player, uh, great passer, but I don't know. Just I always thought there's a soft edge there. There's something not. I don't know. I, I kind of put it into words, but this year, what I see, I see somebody who he looks sharp, and not just because he's had his hair cut, but he looks sharp. He <laughs> looks really lean. He looks determined. He looks as if he's got more more fire. I think he now has so much confidence in himself and I think that's because he's a leader and I think the credibility comes from within, from within himself and from in the dressing room. He's a leader and he's taking responsibility. Things aren't going well. He's dragging people along with him. I just I just think he's a more honed friend this season than any other season. He's a unique talent, isn't he? He's a very, yeah. very unique talent, buddy. He doesn't fit into any box, really, does he? I think that's the, the problem with him for England, isn't it? Because I, I don't think Southgate has a clue how to get the best out of him. You know, like, I, I was probably right the first time. I don't think Southgate's got a clue. <laughs> but, yeah, you don't have to but, use the other words in that sentence. Yeah, I, I can throw that away. But, <laughs> but he, he is, he's, he's a unique talent. We we were talking about it the, the other day. He he probably, as, as Mike, one of the other podcasters, lad, other lads said, he nearly produced the greatest goal of, of, of like probably since Van Basten, you know, like the other night. And he's just, he's an incredible footballer. But Jürgen seems to have got the best out of him this year. He really has. Yeah, he has. He meant that, by the way. You know, the first thing you go is, did he really mean that? He meant that all right. He did. He he was a a couple of inches away. Yeah, it was phenomenal. The goalkeeper never expected him to do that. Well, let's be fair to the goalkeeper. <laughs> Nobody apart from himself expected him to do that, and he just made his mind up half a second before he struck the yeah. ball. He was going to do it. Phenomenal, great, 
Yeah, he is a he is a unique talent, and I think in a Liverpool shirt in a Liverpool environment with the manager that he's got, who's able to allow him to go out and express himself and to feed the team in more ways than just with the ball. That's why I think he's he's going to keep on growing. He will keep on yeah. growing uh, because he's nowhere near his prime yet. He's going to keep on growing, but I wouldn't worry about the England scenario. I mean, if if Trent's a Liverpool player, and that's where he shines the best in that in that shirt. Any any ground in the country, in any ground in the world, in a Liverpool shirt, there's many a player gone to wear the England shirt. And somehow the England regime or that setup has shriveled them or yeah. not shown them in their best light. So I mean Barnsley's a prime example, right? Oh, so yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about that. And I'm sure Trent he he'll not be worried about it. He'll do his best for England, but he'll not be worried about it. He he knows he knows what his priority is. Yeah. Right, Barry. On that note, I think we've took up enough of your time. So we'd like to really thank you for for taking up my offer and, and surprising me by agreeing to come on our podcast. We've thoroughly enjoyed our chat to you. And I hope that if you if you're ever coming over to Liverpool, you know, with, with your future son in law, that you'll give us a shout. We'll all be able to meet up and have a have a pint with you because we'd love to meet you again and shake your hand and thank you for all you've done yeah. for the club and especially especially the role you played in council. All Liverpool fans, you know, after Hillsborough. So thank you again. Never under. Thank you very much. Never thank you very much for inviting me. Thank, thank you very much for inviting me on. And it's what I what I'd like to say. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. What I'd like to say is that it's been an uh, an honour and a privilege to be part of the Liverpool family, um, to experience it, to enjoy the people, to enjoy the the relationship with the supporters uh, in the stadium. Uh, in the street, um, and with with genuine, authentic people, great supporters like yourself, it's the association and the uh, and the warmth is very much appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, buddy, never underplay the part that you played in our success, please, because you were a, you were an integral part of of that yeah. success from the time you joined the club until the time you left. So from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for that and for giving thank us you. so much pleasure you know, in watching so many successful Liverpool teams and squads that you were part of. So on that note, we'll end this special edition of the LFC Red Bull Podcast. <laughs> A big thank, thank you, you to Tom Pete and our special guest, Barry Venison, for joining us tonight. I'm your host, Les Lawson. And as I always do in ending this podcast, I say, justice for the 97. Don't bite the sun and you'll never walk alone. Until next time, see you soon.